Big Thing from Total Soccer Show, the show where we break down the stories that are dominating the beautiful game. Today, we turn our attention to a key detail that's emerged in the war of words between Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp and Manchester City. In the press conference before Liverpool's 1-0 win over City last weekend, Klopp said it's not possible for Liverpool to compete with City spending because Gulf state-owned clubs can, and I quote, do what they want despite financial fair play rules. Klopp says City, Paris Saint-Germain and Newcastle are not bound by the same financial constraints as most other clubs and cast doubt on the effectiveness of FFP. In the aftermath of the game in which Klopp received a red card with his three points, reports of alleged Man City believe his comments are borderline xenophobic and Klopp has strongly refuted the notion that he has been xenophobic and reportedly responded with the threat of legal action over these xenophobia claims. Her boy, there's a lot to get into in this episode. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me to break it all down, we have Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Graham Rothman, hi. Hi, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, hey. Ahoy. All right, Graham, where on earth do we start with this story? Because it's a complex one. We have one massive club in Liverpool who spend mm. an awful lot of money, who have been at the peak of the game for many years, maybe not so right now, but certainly in the last few years, sniping at a fellow Bayamoth club because of the source of their funding. Where do we start here? Yeah, so this whole story is a little bit he sh- he said she said there is it's quite dramatic and a little bit of a soap opera, but there is a there is a serious debate at, at the heart of it. So it is worth having this this discussion. Obviously, the 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 core issue here is sports washing and its influence in modern football. Manchester City, of course, owned by uh, Abu Dhabi. You also have Paris Saint-Germain, who are owned by the the Qataris, the the Sovereign Wealth Fund for Qatar. And then more recently, you have a a Saudi Arabian-backed consortium buying Newcastle United. So these are the clubs that Jurgen Klopp is is talking about. And this has been a dominant storyline in English football this week. And um, a large part of that is down to this being a, a pretty defining issue over time, is, is sports washing a problem? And if it is a problem, what can be done about it? Um, Taylor, to, to nail down into Jurgen Klopp's assertion that clubs can't compete with City and Paris Saint-Germain and Newcastle, is he effectively right because of the gulf, and poor choice of word, the gulf between those, te- those teams and the others? I think when it comes to, to spending and the impact of that spending, yes, I think he's correct. And I think... like. This has been taken in a lot of directions. I think ultimately what he was saying is they can spend more. We can't spend in that way that they can. And if we miss on a player, not that he was saying he's missed on a player, but like they can't immediately replace that player with another high value target. Whereas Manchester City can do that. PSG can do that. Newcastle looking increasingly like they can do that. And so I think... And and he says at one point, like, you all know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Like, I, I think, and, and in the way he's responded to it since, I feel like he feels a little bit hard done by because I think in his mind, this is a thing that everyone knows. No one really writes about. So he said it, and now he's being sort of attacked for it. Mm. And, I, and I think he would say unfairly attacked yeah. at that. His, his point essentially, as you, as you say there, Taylor, is essentially that these clubs can spend money without any consequence. So lots of clubs spend money. My, my United have spent money. Liverpool have spent money. We'll probably dig down into that a, a little bit later. But City have a different measure when they spend money. They're not in it to get a return on their investment. So if they spend £100 million on Jack Grealish and it doesn't work out, obviously a bit of debate whether that is the case or not. But nonetheless, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't really matter, whereas that would come with a consequence for other clubs. And I think back to Pep Guardiola's first season at Manchester City, where he comes in, he decides Joe Hart is not the goalkeeper for him. So he goes out and he he pushes to get Claudio Bravo from from Barcelona. Bravo has one season at, at Manchester City, Guardiola decides he's also not going to do the job. So City go back into the market to get another goalkeeper. And it feels like other clubs maybe wouldn't have that freedom. You look at Manchester United and yes, they've spent a lot of money. But when they sign a player, they they tend to give them, they go a little bit further to the other extreme. They give players like five and six seasons to try and yeah. try and work out. So it feels like that is, that's a good microcosm of City can spend without consequence. Yes, there are other clubs that spend money, but there's a different measure with these state-owned clubs. Yeah, Graham, not to take us off on a sidetrack, I think... 
Klopp maybe would have included Chelsea in this one if Abramovich were still in charge, because if you're talking about goalkeepers, they're the only other one I can think yeah. of who bring in Kepa. That doesn't work. They go out and get Edward Mendy and spend a decent amount of money on him as well. But I think because Abramovich is no longer there, maybe he doesn't or Chelsea don't get talked about in that same way. Uh, but, but I think they probably would have been because in my mind, they're kind of the leading example or the prime example of this to start in the Premier League. Joe, as someone who supports a small team which doesn't have two dimes to rub together, I see Jurgen Klopp as Liverpool manager having a go at another team because of their spending. And, you know, we see Liverpool spending £85 million on Darwin Nunes and not exactly struggling to keep the lights on. So do you see any issue with this kind of discussion? Is there a hypocrisy here at all? Uh, no, not really, because I think we've laid this out. There are levels to this game, and Liverpool are playing at a very high level, right? They are playing at one of the highest levels in the world, but you look at the difference in the net worth between Fenway Sports Group, and John Henry obviously plays a big role in that, and literal nations, and yeah, there's a a big gap. There's a bigger gap between Liverpool and Newcastle than there is between Liverpool and Manchester City, or Liverpool and, and I believe PSG, although I'd have to check that outside of the Premier League. Either way, there are levels to that, too. But Liverpool are not in, at this point, the upper echelon. Now, they still spend a ton, right? An absolute ton. They have spent hundreds of millions of dollars since Jurgen Klopp has been in charge of this team. But so have Manchester City. And they've spent a lot more in the time that even Pep has been in charge of City, which is one year less than Jurgen Klopp has been in charge of Manchester City. I pulled these numbers from Planet Football, and it said, according to to the numbers that they crunched under Jurgen Klopp, City had spent... Uh, let me find it. City had spent $1.1 billion. Excuse me, that's under Pep Guardiola. City spent $1.1 billion. In that time, Liverpool, with Jurgen Klopp, so add one more year, had spent $643 million. So it's a massive difference here when you look at these figures. There's still a lot of, of gap between those two numbers and between what these teams can do. I'm not trying to say we should cry Liverpool a river here. I'm absolutely not saying that. They've proved that you can compete with Manchester City. So in some ways, when you look at Klopp's quotes, I think he is absolutely right. You look at the financial bits. He's saying, yeah, you know, we can't compete with them financially. If you interpret those quotes, though, as, you know, we have no hope of ever competing on the field of Manchester City, I think that's absolutely false. And I think he would agree with that. Jurgen Klopp, the way I read these quotes, is absolutely talking about the financial might of the relative clubs that he's, he's thinking of, the Gulf Phone clubs and a club like Liverpool. And of course, Liverpool have a lot of money, a lot more than any of the clubs that we support besides Manchester United for Taylor. But I mean, there is still levels to this whole thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, Liverpool basically need to be perfect, don't they, to compete with, or anyone else. I mean, Arsenal are top of the Premier League right now. How good have Arsenal been this season? And I've got a friend who is an Arsenal uh, fan. Talk to him about whether Arsenal are going to win the league. And he's like, nah, it's not going to happen. Manchester City mm-hmm. are just relentless. So teams, yes, you can compete with Man City. And obviously Liverpool did it in back-to-back seasons by um, challenging and winning the Premier League title and also winning the, the Champions League as well. But you're, pro- you're probably talking about the greatest ever Liverpool right. team. I don't think that is over the top or hyperbolic. It was, it was that good a team. That's the sort of level you need to get to to yes. beat this current Man City and, team. And that, that's the difference, Graham. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's about margins, right? Clearly, Liverpool can compete. They have won trophies under Jurgen Klopp. They have beaten Manchester City. They have turned Liverpool City into the best rivalry of the, I don't want to say the modern era because I think El Clasico probably still fits that bill, but they've turned it into the best rivalry and the highest quality set of fixtures over the last few years. But what this does mean, the gap in spending does mean, and, and this has been true the whole time, right? We're just sort of now talking about this. And Jurgen Klopp has laid it out. It means the margins are smaller. It means that dynasties aren't going to last as long if you aren't working under the same financial muscle as other teams in your league. It means that things are less forgiving and that it's harder to challenge these these clubs that have just this insurmountable amount of money, it doesn't mean that those teams are going to win every game. It doesn't mean those teams are going to win every title. And I think you can even see a huge difference between how well a club like Manchester City is run and how a club like PSG is run. And if PSG were in the Premier League, they would make some electric games, but I do not think they would be the same title challenger and the same consistent dominant force that Manchester City are because it seems to me that that club is much more dysfunctional the Manchester City is, and I still don't have a great read on Newcastle to rope them into this discussion, but the way you beat these teams is you either are perfect, like Graham said with Liverpool, who were next to perfect, or you, you sort of lean into those teams being dysfunctional. And Manchester City, at least as of really the, the latter half of the Pep Guardiola era, maybe even a little bit longer, haven't really been all that yeah. dysfunctional. 
Yeah, I think I do think that's that is a key thing there, Joe. To go back to, to Ryan's question for a moment though, I, I see I do see that side a little bit because I'm sure there are Bundesliga clubs Jurgen Klopp when he's manager of Mainz, or even Jurgen Klopp managing Dortmund, hearing Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, complain about a, a club that have spent, I think uh, I had it as $1.1 billion, uh total spent, that's not their net spend, but in like the last 10 years. I mean, I, I think many German clubs are thinking like, oh, you poor lambs, how, how can you possibly compete? I think there's many clubs in, in Europe that are feeling that way. Yeah. But then to take it to where Joe was talking, I think the the point there is that it's not just the the transfers, it's the amount that City can spend on renovating stadiums, on renovating training grounds, on bringing everything state of the art and 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 there are ways in which other clubs just cannot compete because of those financial resources and so it ends up being yeah, maybe you can beat them one season, but like then they're going to come back and spend another two hundred million the next uh, the next transfer window, and they're going to retool and they're going to be right back to their strongest. And if you don't have that financial might behind you, you can't retool in that same way. You can't rearm. And in some ways, we saw uh, Pep when the the goal was overturned this past weekend in that game, sort of turning to the to the Anfield crowd and like, oh, of course, of course, of course, like kind of playing the victim a little bit and being like, oh, at Anfield, you guys are always going to get the calls. And this felt like Jurgen Klopp sort of doing the same thing but in a press conference of just like oh yeah yeah, of course like even if we win you guys are still going to win next season so like how competitive can this truly be I think there is a fair amount of truth to that Taylor let me play devil's advocate again because I get the concept yes Mm -hmm. they have bottomless pits of money but if Jurgen Klopp says to me and once again playing devil's advocate here if he says we cannot compete with these teams then I'll turn around and say, okay in the last decade how many Champions Leagues have Man City and Paris Saint-Germain won and how many have you won (laughs) <laughs> Boo. I mean, again, I think that it, dep- it depends on how you're looking. Uh, I'm turning into a U.S. president here. It depends <laughs> on what you mean by compete, uh, because I, I think what what it speaks to for me is him looking at his team. And you have to understand the context of this current Liverpool side who are who are very good, have spent a good amount of money. But at the same time, th- there are weaknesses in that squad and there are vulnerabilities and there are young players who probably aren't quite ready for prime time who are having to start games. And there are players who've played way too many games in the last couple seasons and are now probably feeling it or picking up little injuries. And I think if you're the manager of that team and you're trying to find ways to stretch your resources and sure, you've spent money, but you've still got to kind of make do with the squad that you have and you look across the way to... City, where, yes, they had a positive net spend this window. They point to that pretty frequently. I would point out that every other window uh, prior to this one in the last 10 years, they've had a negative net spend. They've lost, they've spent, uh, their net spend is negative uh, 1.06 billion by transfer markets numbers. Uh, By comparison, Liverpool are at 371 uh, million. So Liverpool definitely had a negative net spend. But 700 million less than Man City's is to me a sizable difference. Yeah, I, Graham, when I hear Jurgen Klopp say things like this, I once again, I get what he's saying, but also I think this is the guy who blames the wind and the grass for losing games. <laughs> and and cold feet are from his goalkeeper. Yeah, exactly. Like, yes, some teams have better players, some teams have worse players, some teams have more money, some teams have less. It's, the point is to get out there yeah. in the field and compete, and that's what Liverpool generally do. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... I think in terms of whether the money that these clubs, these state-owned clubs are are spending, um, whether that is spoiling football, is maybe where I am slightly out of step with maybe common opinion. And I wonder, Ryan, if you come at it from a similar perspective as me as, as a fan of a lower league British team. Because in terms of the actual money being spent, I don't have a massive issue with it. There have always been rich clubs that can spend yeah. more money than the others. Mm-hmm. And yes, City and PSG are spending more. Um, but their presence has inflated the market. So if they didn't have their owners, it would just be other clubs at the top of the food chain spending the most money. It's rich clubs eating other rich clubs, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes yeah. to the money side of things. And obviously, I'm not okay with things like sponsorship doping, which is cheating. Um, and, and that is a bit more than rich clubs just being rich. But if Klopp's issue is about the money being spent by City rather than where the money is coming from, then I think there is an element of it being sour grapes. And why were you not complaining when you were winning things? And, and this is where I have an issue with what Klopp has said. 
I think we know enough about Klopp's personality and what his beliefs are to know that he's uncomfortable with City and PSG and these clubs like Newcastle as well being owned by sovereign wealth funds linked to royal families and monarchies with uh, you know great questions of morality against them. But his comments just seem like he's not prepared to call that out directly. So rather than just trying to attack this head on and call out these owners for the real reason that they should be called out on, he's limiting, limit, limiting it to a football discussion where there are counterpoints and arguments that can be made and it makes it all tribal. So I kind of want Klopp, if he's going to have this discussion, going to make these points, actually make it about the politics of the situation because that that's actually the important bit. The lesser side of it for me is the money that's being spent because that there's always been rich clubs, as I say. Do you do you do you really think that's what Jurgen Klopp is talking about here? I, and I don't know, right? I don't I don't know enough about Jurgen Klopp to say that he's not trying to get at the the bigger underlying social issues. To me, this feels like soccer coach complains about other soccer team having more money to make his soccer team better than than Klopp's soccer mm-hmm. team. And that is like, for Jurgen Klopp, that's important, right? Because his job is to win trophies. And when teams like Manchester City and PSG in the Champions League and eventually Newcastle, who you know he, he sort of references, when those teams are out there doing what they're doing, it makes it harder for that particular soccer coach to do his job. Yeah, can, I, can, I, can I try to thread this needle really quickly? Because I feel like there's two different conversations to be had here. One, I think we're all on the same page. I think we can all, like basically what Klopp said, I don't think is controversial at all. I think it's a statement of fact. There are just way more resources for country or for clubs that are backed by an oil rich state. But at the same time, do we have sympathy? Like, so what is, I guess, the, I think the next step in that. And I think so much of the conversation has been about, should he have said that? Was he right to say that? Is he correct? And I feel like the answers are all yes. But to, to Graham's point, it's sort of, you knew the devil you were getting in bed with. Like you, you chose to manage in the Premier League, mm-hmm. the, the largest league on the planet where there's more money, where everybody wants to buy in and everybody who buys in is a billionaire gazillionaire. I'm sorry that your ownership group isn't as much of a billionaire gazillionaire. Like that, that I think is, and to Graham's point, I think is sort of, to me, the crux of the issue. It's like, yes, that's the case, but it's also been the case since Abramovich, since yeah. before Abramovich. And so to some extent, this isn't anything new. It's just that, yeah, right now it's Liverpool are in a down state and there are more uh, clubs being owned by, by, uh, like, sovereign wealth funds than ever before. So I, I think that to me is sort of the, uh, the difference. Yeah. Liverpool are obviously a big club, but if you go back over the last 30 years, at no point in that period have they been the richest team in the Premier League. So it's True. not like they True. have lost their position. If you, if, the, if this came from Manchester United, who have lost that position as, as the richest club, then maybe you could, I think that would still be sour grapes to a certain extent, but you could, you could kind of understand it. If this was the late nineties, it would be Manchester United that Klopp would, would be complaining about. If it was the mid-2000s, it would be Chelsea that Klopp would be complaining about. And this situation has been like this for decades and decades. As you say, Taylor, he he knew what he was signing up for. Like, he became Liverpool manager in, what, 2015? This situation was already uh, was already there. It was already established by the time he becomes Liverpool manager. So there is an element of it. I, as you say, we're all on the same page, I think, with the state-owned clubs and whether these these sovereign wealth funds should be involved in football. I shouldn't. I think there should be rules um, that prevent that. But in terms of the money being spent, I kind of go, eh, shrug my shoulders like rich clubs just eating rich clubs. <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's dig into, dig into this a little more and also want to get into the uh, xenophobia accusations. Back shortly. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. We are talking about uh, state-owned clubs. We're talking about Liverpool. We're talking about <laughs> Jurgen Klopp. Lots of things coming together in this episode. But uh, one of the things that um, has been levelled, Taylor, reportedly at Jurgen Klopp, and maybe not directly from Manchester City, is that his comments have been xenophobic. He's been mm-hmm. xenophobic to, um, t- to point out that state-owned clubs are having a detrimental f- effect on the game. I don't know if I'd buy that argument, do you? No, and and to some extent, I think it's why he was so careful in what he said. Because if he had come out and said, these Arab-owned clubs, right there, that changes the narrative quite a bit. But I think when he focuses on the resources that these clubs have at their disposal, he is talking about the money behind them. Mm. And that's where, again, I think if, if Abramovich still owned Chelsea, he probably would have listed Chelsea as one of those clubs. So to make it about... 
ethnicity or, or race, I, I, I don't agree with because I think what Klopp was talking about was just the money behind these clubs. And so in my mind, maybe this is controversial. Maybe it's not. To me, that felt, that felt almost offensive that that was the response from Man City. That felt like a, Playing like it, it I, <laughs> I don't want to say that phrase, but it felt to me like they were basically knew what they were doing and they knew how to distract. And there are so many allegations against Manchester City right now. They are under active investigation by the Premier League and have been since 2019 for breaches of financial fair play, for for uh, sponsorship doping, uh, for illegal player acquisition. And so they know these things. They know that they're under investigation. So to play the victim and and try to reframe the argument in a way that is clear. Clearly not what he intended, at least in my opinion, is uh, offensive at worst, disingenuous at best. Yeah, and I think, Joe, if we're to look at, say, the differences in American ownership or big business ownership and state-backed ownership, it's for the large part, it's that state-backed clubs aren't there to necessarily make money. And you could say the same thing about Chelsea under Abramovich. His, his objective wasn't to make money out of Chelsea. But with the state-run clubs, it's about image and it's about that term sports washing, Joe, that we, we use all too frequently. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, right? And and I don't want to say that there aren't any American owners or owners from other areas outside of the Middle East. I don't want to say that there aren't any of those people who are trying to get into sports as a way to improve their image, right? Because I'm sure that is a motivation for people that are rich enough to do this stuff. Like, yeah, I, I would imagine that a lot of them tend to think about their image. I, I don't I don't know that that applies to everyone, though, and I think there is likely a difference to draw here between some of these golf-owned clubs, right? Manchester City owned, again, by the UAE royal family, Newcastle owned by Saudi Arabia, basically their their public investment fund, and then PSG owned by uh, Qatar, right? So we have all of these that, that really are not looking to generate a ton of revenue, and if you are, in general, if you're looking to generate a ton of revenue, at least from what I have seen and read, Owning a sports team is probably not the best way to do that. But U.S. clubs, I do think, U.S. Uh, owners, right, that are involved in, in sports and involved in ownership and owners from other areas of the world certainly have more need, Ryan, to get to your point, to do some of that stuff to generate revenue and to run things in maybe a more efficient way because they don't have the same capital that other uh, teams that are owned by yeah. actual countries do. And, and and I don't really love that either. I think I've made clear in the past I'm not a fan of billionaires in general, and I certainly don't like the morning football clubs. But th- there are there are levels to this uh, to this discussion. There there is a difference between being exploitative in a capitalist sense and being accused of you know murdering journalists and denying women basic human rights and all that other stuff. And, and American owners are not linked to, as Joe mentions, they're they're, they're not linked to autocratic regimes and in, in, in the same way you know they are they are private entities um and that is that is a big difference and graham how much does the morality of it play in here let's let's say as a, as a random example a one premier league club has a billionaire american owner who made his money from harvesting puppy blood <laughs> how much worse is that than a state-owned sports oh, washing man. club right. i don't I, I, I don't know if, I, I don't know if i want to get into the power the, the morality <laughs> power rankings but that doesn't seem great go i on, will take it i will take this go on what what, what is the purpose of the puppy blood uh, billionaire <laughs> buying the club ryan why is he buying them um he, he wants to get rich Oh, see, okay, that, to me, that is a different thing. No, I don't think he should own them. I don't think you should make your money off of puppy blood. The thing that I think always ends up bothering me, uh, aside from the horrific ways in which money can be made, is that, and I think this is also what Klopp was speaking to, is that there's a feeling, at least for me, that that the, that these ownership groups aren't, yes, they want to win. Yes, that is the, a goal of theirs. They want to win. They want to be champions. But why do they want to be champions? I Yes, it's for glory. I don't think it's for money, but I think it's because it enhances prestige and it makes them a household name. It makes them a brand and it makes them a stable brand at that. It's it's no different to me than if there's a neighborhood in Charlotte that Ryan doesn't go into. Uh, he's never been there before. It seemed a little bit odd, but then he finds out there's a new Starbucks there. Ryan's going to go to that neighborhood now because yeah. there's like there's name brand recognition there. And that is what this is about in my yeah. mind. It's about making because then you can promote your tourism companies, your airlines. Your hotels, the the sites you have, you can you can do all these things, and that that's what has been done until there were rules about sponsorship and and sort of limiting the money there, and and it's all I mean that's what sports washing is. It's it's the winning and and the glory are 
almost secondary to yep. being able to promote your nation as a brand. And, and that's what I meant at the start of the show when I said that these clubs have a different measure. So we've kind of accepted over time, obviously with, with sports in general, the number one measure is winning and losing, right? Then over time, we've kind of accepted a second measure over the last few decades of making money or losing money. That, so those are generally what most clubs, the two measures are. Are you winning? Are you making money? And that is the criteria that binds Liverpool and Manchester United and all those clubs. But the state-owned clubs, they have a third measure and all of a sudden Liverpool are going, well, hold on, we don't have that measure. So the, 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 the criteria is different for us. So when you sign a player like Jack Grealish, Man City, yes, they care about, they care about winning. I'm not sure they care about making any money from that. They, when they sign someone like Jack Grealish, they're applying the third measure to that. Which is, as you say, Taylor, about reputation and prestige and, and basically buying power on a, on a, on a world stage and getting into the, po- the corridors of power. And that's, that's the disconnect between that we've got at the top of world football at the moment is that yeah. we have some clubs that have a different criteria to others. And I think this is where I will hold my head up and say, like, I, I know how naive I am about to sound, but looking at the Liverpool ownership group for a second, which is a thing I had not done. I found myself Googling today, why did FSG buy Liverpool? There's not really going to be a succinct explanation for that. But if you look at John Henry's history, again, I'm probably being naive, but he, I think he ran his own investment group, made enough money off of that to, to, uh, to buy the, the Boston Red Sox. That goes well. He partners with other partners. He keeps buying, uh, uh, sports teams. He buys a, a broadcasting network and sort of builds out this entity that then allows him to buy Liverpool. And that's part of that group now, but it's still individuals coming together and building something. And I think you can, <laughs> Ideally, it's it's done for with noble intent or with a noble company or investment or whatever. Ideally, not puppy blood. But there is still <laughs> a feeling, I think for me at least, again, naive as it may be, that people, I think, ultimately want to believe that if I won the global lottery and had a trillion dollars, I could buy Manchester United and make them into this like great club. I think people want to believe that that's a thing that they could do. And... Uh, there is an element for me that like a, an oil backed team just it removes that. And I think yeah. if you have 20 Premier League clubs owned by 20 different oil rich states, what is that at that point? It, it's I, I'm not saying most of the owners in the Premier League are good people. I, I don't think they probably are. But I think that it's just like I can handle. I'll, I'll edit this one. So I'll bleep myself. I can handle a standard asshole. I don't know if I can handle, uh, like a completely like different entity that I can possibly understand and will never be a part of. It just, it makes it seem like a different category and a different world. Yeah. And it creates this immediate disconnect between me and this thing that I love. Yeah. And, and to add one more bit on that, Taylor, I think it even creates a disconnect within the leagues themselves. Right. So I know we're talking about, and Graham, you said this, right? It's, it's one rich club versus another rich club, but I would sort of push back against that a little bit and go back to my initial point, which is that there's levels to this, right? The Premier League has always, uh, operated in this leveled format, right? There's going to be some teams in the Premier League that are way richer than other teams. I'm not arguing with that. That has always been true, but I believe now we can point to the gap between these things being so much bigger than it has ever been before. And I don't have, obviously, all the, the numbers here to go back through the Premier League year by year to look at the gap in ownership wealth from, from one league season to the next league season. But I looked up, doing my research for this show, I went back to 2011, right? So I believe at that point, City had been uh, taken over, right? So they, they now have their new influx of cash. There's all this money that they're rolling in. And the, the figure I found from World Soccer Talk was that they were worth about $20 billion. I don't know if that's true or not, but the ownership for Man City was worth about $20 billion. Let's say that that's somewhat accurate. Then you go down to Bolton, which on that list from World Soccer Talk was the lowest that I had found in terms of overall net worth from ownership at $60 million. So $60 million uh, divided by, shoot, sorry, it was se- I think it was $7 billion for a city, not $20 billion. But either way, these numbers are still going to hold up. You go and look at, that's about 8%, right? Bolden's ownership was worth about 8% of what City was worth. You then go to today and look at the most expensive and the least expensive ownership groups in, in the Premier League, and you're looking at a difference of, of $320 billion <laughs> for Newcastle and $3 million for the lowest team. That is 0.00094%, right? So that, that's kind of my point is I understand there's still a massive gap between 8% and 100% right back in, in the turn of the decade. But there is in, uh, so much of a larger gap now than there has likely ever been. I would wager than there has ever been yeah. in the Premier League or maybe even in professional sports, period. 
And that, to me, is like, I understand this is already kind of a problem before from a competition standpoint, but if we're talking about these teams warping how we consume soccer and how we think about soccer, and Taylor, I think you were sort of getting us down that path. That's a problem, right? I'm not saying it wasn't a problem before, but yeah. it's, it is getting significantly worse. And to trace this all the way back to Klopp, like, yeah, of course he's right. It's difficult to compete with these teams, and you literally cannot compete with them financially, even with mechanisms like financial, play, fan, yeah. financial I mean, fair play and, put Hicks, into place. Sorry, Hicks and Gillette, like, essentially forced out because they were so unpopular. Golden Sullivan forced out because they were so unpopular. Like, like you, you, th- there is still with some clubs, despite how rich their owners may be, fan sentiment and fan anger can still pro- like bring about a reaction. Even Manchester United, to some extent, limited as it has been because the Glazers aren't obligated to do anything. They have still had to make concessions, small as they have been. What was, uh, what was Saudi's net worth? Three hundred twenty uh, yeah, billion. Three hundred twenty billion. Yes. Yeah. They're not doing yeah, so- anything that they don't want to do. Like, like it doesn't matter. And and that's the thing. I think it, it starts to feel more so than ever. Like it is. It is a rich person's plaything, and that becomes way harder for me to care about and watch every week when it's just a thing that is completely, completely disconnected from anything I can possibly understand. If if Klopp has an issue with City spending, just wait until Newcastle United get rolling <laughs> with their net worth. Well, two hundred million in two windows so far. Yeah. yeah, it's been quite a lot. And Graham, um, Eddie Howe, who has always been very careful of what he says in terms of uh, his... That's his, one way to describe it. Yeah, his employer's uh, <laughs> contributions to the Premier League. He sort of warned Jurgen Klopp that he should be careful. He said everyone has to be careful with comments yeah. and opinions, which is an odd... It's a, if you're going to sit on the fence, Eddie, don't say anything, mate. Did he say that while holding a bone saw? Is that too far? <laughs> I just don't know what that that comment means. Genuinely, I, I, I like it. Sounds a bit like a threat. Uh, but, yeah, uh, yeah, it is. Ed, Eddie Eddie Howe has uh, basically said nothing at all when he's asked questions about Newcastle United's ownership situation, which I guess isn't surprising, but it's still it's still disappointing, and even more disappointing when he wades in with comments like this, vaguely threatening comments to Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know whether he's inferring the xenophobia angle there. I think it's more that he just feels uncomfortable in the position he's put in, frankly. Yeah. But it, it is... Well, he shouldn't take that job then. No, well, yeah, he, he's got on the bed and he's going to lie in it, I suppose, at this point. But I think one of the things that strikes me is that the state-owned clubs, it's not just about winning soccer games for Liverpool... Ultimately, they want to win soccer games. Yes, they want to improve their brand and make money through that way. But like years ago, I was in a pub in New York called the Mad Hatter, which is a Man City pub. And Gary Cook, who was this, I think, CEO, he showed up there. And the way he was talking about the the city project, which was relatively young at that point, the the state-owned project, he said things like, we want people in Asia to use Man City toothpaste in the morning and then people in India to be drinking Man City cola in the afternoon, and then people in South America riding their Man City scooters to work. And it was kind of, Graham, I get what he's saying, we want to be a big brand and everyone knows us, but he's also saying we want to be a ubiquitous and slightly nefarious presence in your life. Yeah, an, an Amazon of... rival. Uh, yeah. It seems like Gary Cook maybe want Manchester City. I think, to be honest, I mean, you you were there, you can read into his comments better than I can but that that kind of sounds like a, a mission statement to challenge Manchester United he was yeah. he was right at the he was right at the start of the takeover with Man City wasn't he Gary Cook he was like yeah. the first CEO so that to me sounds like him puffing out his chest and basically saying we're going to be the best we're going to be even more Manchester United than Manchester United I, I, I don't know I don't know how much truth or or uh, validity there was in his, his remarks that <laughs> Indian uh, fans were going to be using what was it Man City tooth, toothpaste or, yeah. or something like that yeah that's fair but enough it, it, it does kind of speak to the Premier Leagues. And this is something that loops in a lot of the American owners as well and a lot of the, the foreign owners. It does speak to the Premier League's kind of in, insatiable drive just for perpetual growth and, and kind of world domination. And you do kind of wonder at what point, I mean, that, that will stop at some point, will it? Or, or am, I, am I being naive there? No, never. More, 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 Graham. Always, always more. Um, Can I... Can I take an issue, an issue, a moment to take an issue with Eddie Howe for a second? Because yes, I know he's being very careful. Well, with hang what on, he said. Taylor. Be careful with your comments and opinions. But okay. Go on. No, you be careful, Eddie Howe. I don't have to be careful because I'm not employed by Newcastle. I'm not employed by Saudi Arabia. 
just because you don't want to annoy your bosses or like really severely annoy them, like you don't get to control the way we have this conversation. Like wanting us to have the conversation on those terms is itself sort of asking us to go with their narrative. And I, I, I find that really frustrating that it's like we we have to be careful when we say it's like you're not a school teacher you are a person who's employed by the saudi wealth fund so acknowledge that or don't but don't expect us to dance around that one just because you have to uh end of my rant from me all right that's completely fair and they know your location now taylor the puppy blood is creeping (laughs) under the doors as we speak um yeah i think we can all agree we probably have all agreed that there is a shadow under the door now and i'm a little bit concerned (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah well maybe we'll see you in part three taylor maybe we won't but we'll uh, we'll find out shortly because we're going to go there in a second but i think we probably all agreed that um the xenophobia reports are probably a little bit off point because it's about image it's about financial at the aspect of things that Jürgen Klopp was talking about here. So I think it's probably, yeah. we've probably put It's deflection. That, yeah. It's deflection from Manchester, Manchester City. So it's a tactic that they have used before to deflect discussion about their ownership. And, and, and it's a tactic that's been used by other sports washers, including Qatar, who frequently roll out that line that they're mm. only under scrutiny for hosting the World Cup because of racist, racist attitudes from, from the West towards, you know, countries in, in, in that part of the world. And there, there was a good tweet as well by, um, Adrian uh, Tempany, who, who I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with, but it, it went viral yesterday, in which his reading of City's uh, briefed comments, and that was another thing, Taylor, you said in their Slack, it was very cynical by, by City to, mm-hmm. to brief those comments to the press without actually putting them on record. So, so again, just another thing that feeds into this, this idea that it was deflection. But anyway, Adrian tweeted, um, it's symptomatic of City being owned by a regime that doesn't tolerate free, free speech, a free media and dissent, which I thought, was a pretty good reading as well of, of the situation is that mm. these clubs don't, when, when they come from autocratic regimes like, like, you know, um, Abu Dhabi and, and UAE and Saudi Arabia, they don't have that, that free speech element to their culture. So anything like Klopp's comments don't go down well at all. Indeed. Let's take a quick break. Is when it, we come back, um, t- Taylor, I'll, I'll, I'll get your comment after the break if you are. You hope here you will. After the break. Yeah, yeah. we don't know. Because <laughs> I want to get into this a little bit more and talk about state-owned clubs in general and their role in soccer and their future role in soccer. We'll be right back. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Taylor, are you still here? So far. So far, so good. Excellent. Or am I? Am I? Am I? Am I a duplicate? Who knows? Oh my gosh! Wow, <laughs> they've Westworlded you already in the space of a break. Very, very impressive. What do you mean, Ryan? <laughs> well, that was a very sexy Westworld robot we just heard. Very nice, Ryan. Would you like to go to Saudi Arabia with me? <laughs> what okay, is now, lovely this time of year? I'm going to talk to someone else now, Joe. Um, what do you think about um, <laughs> state-owned clubs in general and their role in soccer? How? How bad is it that we have state-owned clubs in general? And I know we have mechanisms to try and curb their potential power in FFP, but it doesn't seem like FFP does an awful lot, if even if it does anything at the moment. But, I mean, let's let's blow it 10 years down the line, and Jurgen Klopp's comments might be truer than ever then, surely. Yeah, I think that will absolutely be the case. This is only going to become more and more of a prevalent topic. I have down in my notes that I don't think soccer is ever coming back from this. Like I think it is past a point well, that's from ridiculous. which they can't return, right? I mean, when when the bar to become an owner in a league like the Premier League is this high, it is difficult to imagine ever really walking <coughs> back from the place that we're in right now. Also, Ryan, sorry, I know that we're supposed to be looking 10 years in the future, but I was doing more reading on on financial fair play. And just it really sunk in for me that PSG broke was found to have broken FFP rules and the punishment was that they were fined. Like I think that is that is just really funny. Uh, that irony, <laughs> like really, really got to me. And researching this episode, and that's sort of to your point that we're not really convinced about FFP's ability yeah. to limit spending. And I'm, I'm not even really necessarily sure that that's what it was designed to do in the first place, right? I think it was designed to help clubs not go bankrupt. And realistically, some of these clubs were never going to go bankrupt. So anyway, setting that aside, yeah, Ryan, it's a problem. I don't, I don't know how to say how bad it is or how, how what, what, there are very clear issues with this, right? That is what I will say. There are human rights issues with a lot of the ownership. I mean, those things, right? And this question of morality, which is, is a difficult one to wade into, I mean, there are issues with all of these people and all of these teams and, and with all of us, right? That's how this, this works. We are all 
broken and struggle in a lot of these moments. And, and we can see that very clearly with people that have a lot of money so much of the time. That's that's kind of how this game works. So there are problems with this. There is a bigger gap, as I laid out before, between teams. There's a higher barrier for injury for owners who aren't actual countries or in the top 0.00, et cetera, 0.01%, right? Th- those are all very real issues. And I do think they are changing how we think about and how we watch and our connection to this sport. Yeah, I think the the thing with FFB that that continues to make my head hurt is just that it, it feels to me like it's one of those things where once you codify a thing in law, you're telling people here are the loopholes. And it's it's like, Ryan, if I tell you uh, in a certain country, you're not allowed. I, I changed it from drugs to gummy bears to make it more family friendly. You cannot drive gummy bears into this country. That is illegal. So now Ryan starts throwing them over the border with a catapult. Well, now you cannot catapult gummy bears in. OK, well, then I'll fly them in. It's like you keep making very specific rules like that are basically in reaction to what has happened. It's sort of what the U.S. used to do with terrorism. And and it sort of doesn't like sort of realize that there will still be loopholes if you keep creating very specific specific language about how to combat these specific things, you're just opening up other areas where things can be taken advantage of. And so uh, that's what I feel like FFB keeps doing is it basically keeps shutting down one door to open up two others. I think, Taylor, besides loopholes, I think the thing that UEFA have realized with FFP is they don't hold the power. PSG and Man City hold the power because when you have Sheikh Manzoor saying words to the effect of I'd rather tie them up in the courts for 10 years and spend 10 times the amount of the fine than pay the fine you know where the power lies. And FAP isn't going to stop them when when teams like PSG and City have got more money and power than UEFA, then they don't really have to listen to the rules, Graham. Yeah, and there's another issue with FFP, and Philippe Leclerc is, is, is really good. He's done some good reporting on this. <coughs> Basically, the, one of the main issues that UEFA has found with FFP is that it is technically in violation of uh, like EU law, of things like employment law. You go to America... And a lot of the American sports there, MLS being one of them with, with salary caps and things like that and the NBA and the NFL, they can limit what the teams spend because there is that centralized structure there. So, but if you go, if you come to Europe, there isn't that centralized structure there. So these clubs are on the free market. They're, 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 they're free enterprises. You know, they're, they're autonomous enterprises. So you can't really restrict them in the same way. So that is how a large part of how PSG are able to go to court and say, well, who are UEFA basically to restrict what we can spend and what we can pay players? And it's actually against employment law for them to limit what we can pay players and what we can pay for players. So that's another issue is you've got this, you've got this clash between the leagues that probably do want to be centralized, and that is probably the way to get on top of this, is to have more of a centralized structure. But how on earth do you get these clubs into the centralized structure if you're going to restrict restrict them within that structure? How do I feel, Taylor? Let's say I'm a I'm a Man City fan, and I've been a Man City fan since the '80s. How am I supposed to feel about my ownership? And say the same thing for a Newcastle fan as well. Yes, my product on the field looks amazing. We're winning trophies, or well, Newcastle presumably will. But should that should will there be a point where this situation eventually drives me away from my club? Um, I, I mean, I think that's that's an individual thing. Obviously, I just want to be mindful because I said before, I will say again: if Saudi Arabia had tried to buy Manchester United, I I probably stopped being a Manchester United fan. But if you grew up in Manchester, if you are a have been a Man City fan your whole life, if you live in the U.S. but you've liked them for forever, like I I think there is probably. Just the argument of everybody is a billionaire in the Premier League. Everybody has money. Plenty of people have have been like bad owners. I mean, look at Jackson Shinawatra, who used to own Man City, who was uh, indicted for corruption, I believe, mm-hmm. and, and like forced to resign. Like, I, I think there are there are plenty of bad actors in the Premier League, and it's not like Manchester City are are like the only one who are disrupting things. My guess would be that's how you view things. Is just that well, Liverpool is spending money too. So is Newcastle. So is Manchester United. So is Chelsea. Who cares? You all just wish you had this this amount of money, and that is what I think it ends up being. Is you all are just jealous that you don't have this ownership group, and there probably is some truth to that. But I think. If that were an ownership group that had made all of its money by selling gummy bears, I'm going to keep that one going. Then I think I would truly be be <laughs> jealous because that seems like a really ideal uh, ownership group to have. But when it's not that, it becomes a different story for me. 
Uh, who to- owns Haribo? That's basically who you want as an owner. <laughs> Watch it be Qatar. What, what? <laughs> it's going to be such oh, a bummer. Damn it, they're owned by the Saudi Arabian <laughs> Public Investment Fund. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so nervous now. <laughs> no, they're, they're, owned, uh, they're a German company founded by Hans Regal Sr. Yeah, that's what, I don't that's know what Wikipedia tells you. You don't know. Yeah. Oh, what was he up to in 1939, Graham? Oh, don't tell- go there, right? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Joe. Is, yeah, you, is, is, you wish you hadn't gone down that road, don't, don't yeah, you? Right. A little bit. <laughs> I was also going to go down the Shinawatra. Um, Thailand has the stones to indict its former leaders. America, take notice. But uh, I've not done that either. Um, <laughs> hey, you want to throw stones on that one, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I come back to you. The Premier League oh, the and its brand... Obviously, it's very conscious of its brand, and branding is very important for all these clubs in the Premier League as well. A city hurting that brand with their state-owned status? No. Uh, do, do you think people care that much? No, I, no, I don't. I don't think the average person, the average soccer fan, is even aware of this to begin with. So that's the first step. And I, I also don't think you can compare the the difference between how much in Erling Haaland coming to the Premier League in scoring goals and getting people talking about the Premier League, how much more that helps the Premier League's image. I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is what I think. I I don't think there's even a conversation between how much that stuff helps the Premier League and what conversations like this that people listen to, and and not just us having this conversation, but you know other outlets and other folks in the media having these conversations, and even fans having these conversations among themselves. I think those conversations are absolutely dwarfed by Erling Haaland scoring, you know, a thousand goals in eight games or whatever it was, right? I, I don't even think there is a discussion about the difference between those two things. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that's right, and I, I think it probably should not be that way. But the Premier League becoming this behemoth in world soccer where they are very clearly, and this was not true a decade ago or even, I would say, five years ago, when they are so clearly the top dog in world soccer, if you're the Premier League... And and the the choice is have some of these owners come in and you're going to become the best league and the, the most talented soccer league the world has ever seen. Like I, I'm sure the decision makers inside the Premier League are going to take that deal every single time. And that's absolutely what's happened. Joe, do you not think there's a world where if we're talking about the, the two state-owned clubs in the Premier League being City and Newcastle, um, obviously it's it's entirely possible, maybe even likely, that we're going to have more sovereign wealth funds and so on, buying more Premier League teams. But at the moment, we have those two. Do you not think there's a world where if, if the dominance of City continues um, and Newcastle, if they join that, and we have kind of two dominant teams that are just so far and away from the rest of the league, that that could harm the Premier League brand? Because the Premier League over the last 10, 15 years, it sold itself around the world as the most competitive major league. And I, and I do think there is some... There, there is some uh, weight to that to that argument that the Premier League is the most competitive. You do have kind of six teams, and it might now be seven if you include Newcastle. You do sort of have six or seven teams that could feasibly win a title in the next three seasons. Um, and I don't think any other, certainly any of the other big five leagues in Europe have that. So if, if you erode that competitiveness or even that illusion of competitiveness, I do wonder if that harms the Premier League brand, even in the case of them trying to negotiate TV contracts. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, your Tottenham Arsenal games, North London derbies, these, these, these matches that should be get big games that aren't currently big games, they become less valuable to the TV broadcasters and that starts to hit. The, the brand value of the Premier League. Do you, do you think that is a scenario that could happen? I, I do think that's a possibility, Graham. I think that's a good point. For me, there's not, and maybe this is, this is certainly my perspective as an American sports fan and as someone who watches a lot of Major League Soccer, there's not that much difference between like three or four teams competing for a title at any given time from the Big Six and City and Newcastle and figure one or two other teams that, is, that, that really have been perfect in the way that Liverpool have been for stretches kind of up to this season under Jurgen Klopp in getting all their decisions right, both tactically and personnel-wise, and building a culture in the club. For me, there's like a negligible difference between those things to the point where the Premier League calling itself the most competitive league in the world, if we're talking about you know the talent ceiling, is true. If we're talking about parity, like that's absolutely not the case. It's been a two-horse race for years now, and before that, I mean, it, it's never really a six-horse race in the Premier League. So... I, I see what you're saying, but as a consumer, and I would wager this would be true for a lot of other people who, who maybe aren't from the United Kingdom, I don't think it's that big of a deal. All right, so we've had a good discussion here. Let's return to the original question of whether Jürgen Klopp is right that um, 
you know, these these state-owned clubs have no ceiling. Does he have a genuine point that's going to exacerbate Graham, or is he just rehashing an argument that's as old as time? I mean, back in the 18th century, I'm sure there were, or 19th century, I should say, there were mm. probably teams saying, oh, that factory owner's got slightly more money than that factory owner. <laughs> it's just a fact of life that some some entities are richer than others. Yeah, Newton Heath have spent more money on their uh, on on their metal studs this season. They're going to have better <laughs> grip on these cabbage patch pitches. Yeah, um, can I say yes to all? <laughs> I think is, is is my answer. Yes, Jurgen Klopp has a point, but also yes, I don't think his argument is is much different in terms of the money being spent. That argument that I laid out about there's always been rich clubs. Mm. I I do also think there's there's did Arsene Wenger not complain about Chelsea? Did, was that not a thing? He complained about the money Chelsea were spending and how Arsenal couldn't compete. And I'm sure before then there was Kevin Keegan complaining about Manchester United and signing Andy Cole from, from them. So yeah, there is a, there is a rehashing yeah. of that argument, but it, it does feel like this debate is, is slightly different now for the reasons and for the numbers that Joe outlined. The, the gulf no pun intended, is uh, is getting bigger and bigger. I wanted to go all the way back to like the 1870s and it's like one factory owner is yelling at the other one, like, you used expensive dyes to make your shirts, that's unfair. Like, like how far back could you go in terms of that conversation of, of the haves and the have-nots? I feel like that is probably yeah. an eternal question. It's, I think it's, uh, you go back to the times of the English game, the Netflix show, yeah, you have a keeper who can actually save a ball yeah. on camera. <laughs> that's unfair. <laughs> <laughs> he knows how to pass. Unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any movement on that uh, answer from Graham Taylor? Or are we all aligned on that? Yeah, I think I think we're pretty aligned. I have to say. Okay, excellent stuff, Joe. Any anything else to add to this debate before we uh, close the shop? I don't think so. Excellent stuff. Problem solved. Yeah, no, we did it. Nailed it. We fixed soccer, <laughs> fellas. Man, I don't what think a good Friday. Did. Great job. Good stuff. Indeed, but we have certainly big thinged. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your contributions. And um, listener, don't look up uh, the owner of Haribo. I, I, so I think that's one of those misleading titles because the, the, the article that I did find was uh, it's like it's like a question being asked of like, did a Nazi billionaire create the gummy bear? And it seems like the answer oh, is, is just, no. I think the answer is just no. It's a lot of like, it's <laughs> oh, a lot you of can't like, write that article. <laughs> this might this might have happened. It could have been this, but it doesn't seem the mental floss article seems to paint a more uh, accurate depiction. So I think right. I think we're OK to still like Haribo, even if they have made some questionable Where- decisions more recently. Where are you drawing the line with headlines like I know, that? Right? Is, is Graham Rutherford a Nazi? The answer is no, but you know you can write an article with that headline if you want. Okay, Ooh. well, I mean, yeah, yeah, maybe Graham, we can I feel do like that. you opened a door there that you didn't mean to open. <laughs> TotalSoccerShow.com, headliner, right there, baby. <laughs> is Graham Ruthven a oh, Nazi? Yeah, we're going to have to wind this one up before it gets any worse. Graham, thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, thank you again, sir. Yeah, right back at you, right? Taylor, one more time. Thank you very much indeed. Welcome, Saudi overlords. Uh, listener, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on this here podcast. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, as always. But for now, bye. bye.